say the word scapegoat, many of you already know what I mean. For those of you that don't, a scapegoat is a person who is blamed for the wrongdoings, the mistakes, and faults, regardless of other people being either entirely at fault or also at fault, especially for reasons of expediency. Now, this term scapegoat originates from Judaism. During mass reconciliation, a rabbi would bring a goat to the altar. The idiotic idea was that sins of the people would be absorbed into the goat, and it would then be killed. When its blood would spill over the altar, those sins were said to be cleansed. In a human social group, like a family, there are complex interactions that take place and roles that people end up in. The emotional interdependence in even the most abusive and disconnected homes still makes it so that a change in one person creates reciprocal changes in every other member of the group. In a dysfunctional social group, a dysfunctional family is a dysfunctional social group, <laughs> what will actually happen is that the strongest member of the family will be targeted. Now, what I mean by strongest is, is that any social group creates patterns of dysfunctionality. And the strongest member is the member that goes against these patterns of dysfunctionality. They're the one that doesn't feed into them. And therefore, they're the ones that cause everyone else to be triggered about them. Now, this strongest member of the group being targeted will now become the group problem, or the family problem. All of the emotional and mental discomfort that is experienced by the group as a whole is deflected and projected onto this person who is expected to bear it so that the other members of the group don't have to face that discomfort in themselves. The subconscious goal here is, in fact, catharsis. The scapegoat is the one that is selected to suffer so that the other members of the family don't have to. In the family, the person who ends up in the role of the scapegoat is not actually to blame any more than the goat in our sacrifice scenario is to blame for the sins of the people. The thing is that their feelings, their thoughts, their needs, their desires, their perspectives actually causes the unresolved issues in the other family members to surface. At which point, instead of looking at these unresolved issues and actually resolving them, all of that distress becomes deflected onto this person, and that person is the reason for the family's problems and suffering. Here's an example. A mother doesn't actually want a child, but she has been led by society to believe that that's the only acceptable role for her to have. And in fact, that's the only way for her to guarantee that she's gonna get love long-term. So she has a child. Now this child, is going to have its own needs, have its own desires, have its own thoughts. It's going to be its own unique being. But when it's born to a mother that doesn't really want a child, a mother that just wants validation, for example, this isn't going to go so well. When this mother has to run around and cater to this child's thoughts and needs and desires and accommodate the child in such an extreme way, it's going to bring up her unresolved issues around wanting to do what she wants to do in life, and the very real fact that society led her in the exact opposite direction of her genuine desires in the direction of what society says she needs to be doing with her life. Now, instead of facing the fact that she never wanted to be a mother, instead of facing the fact that the real selfish truth is that she wants to do what she wants to do, and probably needs to let herself go ahead and face those types of things she actually wants to do and do them, she's going to make the child the issue. You're so selfish, she's going to say when the child asks for something. She's going to be constantly exasperated, tell the story that her life ended when her daughters began. 
She has made the problem the child and projected her own sins, so to speak, onto the child in order to avoid the discomfort of accepting that she does not want a child and she is selfish and that she wants to do what she wants to do, not dedicate her life to another person's care. It is at this point that the child has become a scapegoat. Of course, it's difficult for a scapegoat in any social group to really genuinely understand they're not to blame and not at fault. Why? Because it doesn't make sense that if they're not at fault, why the hell are they being treated this way? What the scapegoat does with this extreme confusion that they are trapped in their whole life of trying to figure out just what it is that they did that was so bad to deserve this treatment is that they will go on a lifelong mission to try to figure out what's bad about themselves and fix it, and yet nothing they ever do will ever turn up anything that they're actually able to fix so as to get the love they need from the people around them. Why? Because resolving things was never the intention of the family or social group in the first place. In other words, it was never a motive of anyone in the group for that person to not be the problem. It served them for that person to be the problem. As long as that person was the problem, they could avoid looking at themselves, and that is the biggest gaslight of all. Basically, everyone's like, we really do want you to fix the fact that you're such a problem for us, but that's a gaslight, because they don't. What they want is to make someone the problem so that they can avoid facing themselves. The scapegoat can spend a lifetime paying for sins they never committed. Now, because we live in a universe based on the law of mirroring, what some people call the law of attraction, there's this crappy little thing that happens. <laughs> now, I understand, universally speaking, this is a brilliant design. There's some debate about that in consciousness itself. However, for the sake of relating to you, I'm going to say, it's a crappy little pattern. Why? Because when you have been scapegoated, and this is the basis of your life, you will go on to be scapegoated again, and again, and again, and again, until you resolve the very things that are keeping you stuck in the pattern. And this is something that I want to help you if you have experienced scapegoating with today. Because actually the scapegoat has patterns within themselves that are acting like superglue, fusing them to this behavior of being scapegoated. First, I'm going to list the top four things that act like a superglue attaching a scapegoat to the pattern of being scapegoated. One, accepting this role was literally the only way to stay safe in the social group, and so this is now your pattern of fitting in and staying safe socially. Two, accepting responsibility made you not like the people who hurt you. Three, you love people who take responsibility. You find them safe, and so you do not want to entertain the idea of letting any of that responsibility go. Plus, you're only in control if you take 100% of it. Four, no one else in the social group was taking any responsibility, and so you were forced to be the one to do it for all of them. This is now a habit. Let's address the first item of superglue, shall we? You have a very clear option when a social group turns you into a scapegoat. That is, you either instantaneously conform, or you suffer the wrath of being excluded, of being made to be the problem, and being treated and seen as the problem, by the way, comes with a great many consequences socially. <laughs> now here's the thing. There are a great many situations where a person, especially a child, can't actually conform. And even when you can conform, you know, people aren't really idiots. They understand that genuine conformity is not actually love. They understand that if they conform, they have to get rid of themselves to do it. And so, 
the consequence as opposed to abandonment for people who actually are able to conform in a social group like this is the loss of self. Basically, in a social group, you're not safe at all because you have to exchange one form of safety for another form of safety, and you have to exchange one form of unsafety for another form of unsafety. Either you're looking at losing yourself or being an outcast. The role of the scapegoat and the role of the golden child in a family group are both not safe. They're just opposite forms of unsafety. And so if you were in either role, you carry seeds of fear of the opposite, as well as the pain of what you chose. But in any case, accepting the role of the scapegoat within the social group, in fact, made it so that you did not end up completely and entirely alone. Now, I need you to understand that we are a completely relationally dependent species. If you put a baby out on a sidewalk with no one to tend it, it is dead. This means that we prioritize closeness with a social group over absolutely everything, and aloneness is annihilation to the human species. So the way it works is this. When a social group starts to scapegoat you and you can't conform or don't conform in some way, then what happens is a very specific pattern. You have to first buy into the fact that you're the family problem, and you have to adopt this as your way of seeing yourself. When you do this, you are no longer resisting the way that this group sees you. You're no longer resisting the way they want to use you within the group. Therefore, they're going to stop resisting you in that way, to a degree. In this atmosphere of non-resistance to the horrible identity that's being projected onto you and to all the things you're being blamed for, <laughs> actually allows the people in the social group to switch up their game now and to avoid their unresolved issues even further. They do this by considering themselves, at this point, the healer and the fixer of you. At this point, the scapegoat becomes the identified patient in the social group. They use the idea of themselves as a good person for focusing on and helping and fixing you to further avoid their own pain. The thing is, they're creating the very pain in you that they say is your personality defect and flipping it so as to heal it. Now, this is disgusting. The social pattern is disgusting when you really get it. It is so dysfunctional, and it is such an extreme form of gaslight. The reason that I say it's a gaslight is this, and by the way, those of you who don't know what a gaslight is, it's basically to convince you that what you see you don't see, what you hear you don't hear, what you perceive is not reality, is to mess with someone's sense of reality. Now, I may do an entire episode on gaslighting because it's so misunderstood. However, for the sake of this episode, it's intensely gaslighting because of this. Imagine that I walked up to you with a lead pipe, and I knocked your feet out from under you. Now you're rolling around on the ground and you're in pain. And it's at this point that I get down on the floor next to you, and the first thing I say is, God, you just have so many problems. I mean, do you understand when you're always acting in pain like this? It's a problem because it takes all of the focus off of the family. And I can't put my energy into the other siblings that I need to put my energy into because you're taking so much focus away from me. And when you continue to cry, I then one-up this. Not only did I just make you the problem, now I'm going to switch and escape my own unresolved issues even further by becoming your fixer. So now down on the ground after I've said that, you know, I'm, I'm definitely here for you. I see that you have problems. I recognize it. We can definitely find a doctor who can help you with the fact that you're in so much pain all the time. Yeah, that's a scary gaslight. That is life for a scapegoat in a family unit. 
The vast majority of children who were brought to psychologists and psychiatrists are in fact family scapegoats in this exact situation. But the sad thing is that playing into this pattern by accepting themselves as the problem saves the scapegoat from abandonment, annihilation, and further wounding by the people in their lives. The problem is, because of this extreme form of gaslighting, you learn to ignore the fact that people have punched you onto the ground in the first place and instead focus entirely on the safe feeling of them trying to heal and fix you. Your only frame of reference for closeness with other people is when they're trying to fix you now. That means you are prone to getting into relationship after relationship with people who mess you up specifically so they can do this pattern with you. They screw you up so they can fix you up. And you actually feel more loved and more safe in that. Because at least, even if they're the ones that knocked your knee out from under you in the first place, in the moment that they're bandaging it up, you're not getting hurt like you usually are. Okay, so you can get this. Your frame of reference for love and safety is blaming yourself, seeing yourself as the problem and having people fix you. This is a pattern you repeat and repeat in order to get your emotional and even physical needs met to feel close to people and feel safe socially. You pick people who do this to you. You do not end relationships with people who do this to you. To address the second item of superglue, you wouldn't really be the scapegoat of your family if the truth, even at a subconscious level, wasn't that you actually do see the patterns that are occurring. In fact, in the previous scenario, you're the kid who sees, even if there's a part of you that wonders whether you're bad or not, that mom didn't actually want a kid. Basically, you know that there is an extreme form of deflection and projection going on. To understand more about deflection and projection, watch my videos titled Deflection, the Coping Mechanism from Hell, and Projection, Understanding the Psychology of Projection. You see that them not taking responsibility for aspects of their lives, including unresolved issues and their authentic truth, has created all of this pain for you. You see that that has made them bad. And as a result of your whole pattern, where you have spent your whole life desperately trying to figure out how to be good because you've been put in this category of bad and wrong to such an extreme degree, this obsession you have with being good and being right makes it so that you naturally swing the pendulum away from where they stand. If you see that what they have been doing in their pattern of lack of responsibility for these things, <laughs> lack of ownership for them, has been creating so much pain in the world, you seek to be so incredibly good and to restore your own sense of goodness by being the exact opposite of them. Basically, your wires get crossed, and now your only way of being good is to seek out how you're at fault and to take the blame and blame yourself. The problem is, in this universe, based on the law of mirroring yet again, that creates quite the vibrational problem, doesn't it? Because if you are in the frequency of yourself always being to blame, that means other people will always blame you. Haven't you noticed this interesting little quality about the universe that the people who do not actually, in fact, blame themselves often don't get blamed by others? <laughs> yes, if you are a scapegoat, there is going to be nothing more triggering than those moments when you're watching a movie and someone is blamed for something they didn't do, convicted of a crime they didn't commit, and can say nothing because they're already condemned. Because this is your life, isn't it? 
you're going to be scapegoated and blamed for things, even though you didn't do it. And the pattern that's actually creating this on a vibrational level is the pattern of blaming yourself so as to stay virtuous. To address the third superglue, you have been so damaged by being blamed, especially wrongly blamed, that you have fallen in love with the opposite characteristic from the ones that the people who originally hurt you have. You have fallen in love with people who blame themselves, fallen in love with people who take responsibility. Do you want to know why? Because it actually does keep you safe. It's safe when somebody takes responsibility for things. But this complete adoration you have for people taking responsibility and this glorification of the trait itself has caused you to adopt the trait of hyper-responsibility. It has caused you to swing the pendulum completely to the far end of the scale where you take blame for everything and everything. <laughs> By taking 100% of the responsibility of the blame, you feel superior in that goodness and also feel in control and thus safe. If something is someone else's responsibility or fault, who is actually in control of repair in that situation? And you have learned over the course of your life not to trust anyone else with responsibility. Therefore, in order to feel safe and in control of your life, you have to take 100% of it. This is the very same pattern that keeps people locked in sexual abuse. Those of you who have worked or who know people who have been sexually abused know that the hardest thing to get a survivor past in the path of healing is self-blame. The reason is, is that blaming themselves implies that they themselves had a hand in why something happened. Look at the terror of the reality if they don't. If they had nothing to do with why it happened, then they were truly a victim. So, taking 100% of the responsibility is the only way they can stay not a victim. To address the fourth issue, being a scapegoat in a family implies that the other family members don't take responsibility for some aspect of life. I mean, you may have had a hyper-responsible parent who was overworked, but still who turned you into the scapegoat because they never took responsibility for their true desires, for their true thoughts, true needs, feelings, whatever. Now, obviously, because these people don't take responsibility, they kind of defaulted to you, didn't it? It didn't really matter whether you wanted to take responsibility for it or not. If no one else was going to, it was you or no one. This means you're conditioned to automatically do it. It's complete and total habit. You take responsibility for what is and isn't yours to take responsibility for, thinking that there's no other option. So take a look at your life for what might be someone else's responsibility and ask yourself, if I didn't take responsibility for fill in the blank, what would happen? For example, did you know that it's another person's responsibility when they feel that they have some sort of a conflict or a problem with you to come to you directly to try to resolve it? That's actually their responsibility to initiate that resolve. Now ask yourself this question. If I weren't the person to intuit the fact that that person had an issue with me and to be the one to bring it up with them so that I initiated the resolve, what would happen or wouldn't? This level of hyper-responsibility, it's going to kill you one day. It will literally incapacitate you. And on top of that, it makes you an absolute magnet to people who do not want to take any responsibility at all. I find it helpful, in alignment with my teachings on love, to consider that all beings in existence, all people, are part of myself, and ask myself the question, if this person were me, a part of me, would I want a part of me 
to be doing X, Y, Z. What I want them to be escaping from their own unresolved issues instead of facing them. What I want them to not be taking responsibility. If the answer is yes, by all means, go ahead and continue. But if the answer is no, then you can consider yourself an enabler of dysfunction and therefore not loving to them at all by continuing this pattern. What does all this boil down to? You need to look at what is and isn't yours in any situation. What is keeping you from doing this is that anytime you look at how something isn't your fault, you feel like you're headed straight towards becoming like those people you hate because they hurt you so badly. You think you're the good guy for taking all the blame. You can only be good for taking responsibility for what's yours, otherwise you've turned into an enabler. You enable people to be like those people who hurt you. You enable their dysfunction as well as pattern of deflecting and projecting, and allow them to avoid the unresolved issues and pain, which means they will continue to hurt themselves and hurt other people. You've got to see that those consequences that in the beginning of your life you were so incredibly afraid of, things like abandonment, things like annihilation even, they're so much better than a lifetime spent with other people smearing you with their own poisoned blood. It's so much better than a life of the consequences that you're going to constantly get by being seen as the bad guy and the wrong one. You've got to see now at this point in your life that the consequences that you were so incredibly afraid of, things like abandonment, things like annihilation, are in fact so much better than the consequences you're going to face of being constantly seen and treated as if you're bad and wrong. There are a lot of consequences, torturous consequences, for being in that role in a social group. What this means is it isn't safe. It also isn't love. When someone's focusing at you constantly in terms of you being the bad one and the wrong one, and then turning themselves into the fixer of you, you have thought that has been love. That is not love in any way, shape, or form. That is a person feeding off of you for the sake of their own self-concept. It is consumption. It's a form of parasitism in order to avoid their own pain. This means, as a scapegoat, the hardest thing you will ever accept and the one you need to is that they don't love you. They don't. They do not take you as part of themselves at all. Those are words that they are saying. In a universe based on love mirroring, if you blame yourself, you will be blamed. It's very important to get yourself out of this pattern of constantly blaming yourself so you're not a match to that because, yet again, extreme consequences can happen as a result of being blamed, especially being blamed for things you didn't do. You are blaming yourself to maintain a sense of goodness so you're nothing like those people who hurt you. But you don't need to worry about becoming like those people. You are more than willing to see what you did wrong and to see that things are negative about you. You've been practicing this bravery all your life. What you do need to do is to swing the pendulum back towards what's healthy. It is inauthentic and not in reality to adhere to one extreme like that. The way to swing the pendulum back towards healthy is to own up to your own authentic truth, own it up to reality, and be responsible for that. People who scapegoat others are by definition not being authentic. They are not being authentic about their own personal desires, their own personal needs, their own personal feelings, their own personal thoughts, their own perspective. In that lack of authenticity, they're not able to actually do anything to resolve it, are they? 
Therefore, they have to deflect and project. That means own your truth to not be like them. Don't blame yourself to not be like them. The time has come to discern what is yours and what is someone else's. Being in relationships with people who take responsibility themselves will make you safe and will actually make it easier for you to see what is and isn't yours. When two people each look at what's theirs, this is a healthy relationship. This is a relationship where you can change things for the benefit of expansion. If you continue to blame yourself in order to stay good, you will be a magnet for people who love to get away with blaming others and never look at themselves. If you suffer from this pattern of being scapegoated, the honest truth is I have far too many videos to mention that will help you to escape this type of patterning that is inherent within you as a result of everything you experienced. But I have compiled a tiny little list here of videos that I really suggest that you watch, like today, if you have this issue with scapegoating. The Defective Doll. Dysfunctional Relationships. Responsibility. Why, when, and how to take it. How to call bullshit on denial. How to let go of a coping mechanism. The hidden truth about dysfunctional relationships. The victim control dynamic. Why you can't feel loved for who you are. Self-concept, the enemy of awakening. And self-hate, the most dangerous coping mechanism. As a recovering scapegoat, you have got to ungaslight yourself. Everyone who's part of a dysfunctional family or social group dynamic has to ungaslight themselves, but especially you as a scapegoat. Your whole life has been nothing but a gaslight. Therefore, make reality your absolute obsession. Nobody in that social group is going to have the same estimation of reality that you will. None of them are going to validate your reality. Validating your reality means facing the issues themselves. Now the big thing that happens with scapegoats that I see that bites them in the ass is that when they start to recover their sense of reality, hey, maybe I'm not the problem, they go straight back to their family group, assuming that if they just get their family group to get it, that somehow it's all going to improve itself. You have got to have realistic expectations. It doesn't matter in this universe if all people can change. Are they going to? The answer is... Not always and not usually, actually, in a dysfunctional family group. <laughs> Therefore, running back to them, hoping that they are going to change their ways and see what you see, which is to see themselves as dysfunctional, is highly unlikely. I need you to understand what it is you're expecting from other people by doing this. Because what you're actually expecting them to do by accepting your reality, by accepting you as good, in fact, by accepting you did nothing wrong, is to actually face their dysfunction. Many scapegoats become the truth seekers and truth tellers on our planet, and that's perfect. You can own this role without expecting that your family is going to take it well. <laughs> I'm going to give you a really sad truth here. For the most part, you can expect people not to change. And to be clear, this does not mean that you should enable it by playing into the dysfunction any more than it means you should expect that they will change. Because of this complex trauma and anxiety that comes out of being in this role in the social group, especially if you were in this role as a child, I highly suggest that you pick up a copy of my book titled The Completion Process, which will also help you to deal with the unresolved issues that are a leftover byproduct of this scapegoating pattern within your own life.
If you watch my video titled Fragmentation the Worldwide Disease, what you will notice is that fragmentation is the primary coping mechanism within a physical human. Now one of the ways that you coped being a scapegoat is to create two fragments of your own consciousness. One that's being constantly scapegoated and another that is the scapegoater. So you have an internal part that is scapegoating you. And one of the most powerful things you can do to overcome this pattern of scapegoating is to resolve the rift between those two aspects of self. To integrate your internal scapegoat and your internal scapegoater. Another thing is that if you've been scapegoated, shame is the bedrock of the self-concept of someone who has been scapegoated. Shame is one of the most poorly misunderstood things on the planet. Most people see shame in a certain way and based off of the way they see it, the advice they give you around shame actually makes the shame worse. Shame is not something in and of itself that you can necessarily do away with because it is in fact a biological affective reaction. It happens whenever you're pushing a part of yourself away from yourself in order to establish closeness with a social group. Now, obviously, given the fact that you have so many of these deep patterns and this deep conditioning with shame, this is something that needs a little bit more focus than the average rhetoric. For this reason, even though every single chapter in the book that I wrote called Anatomy of Loneliness is going to apply to you if you were a scapegoat, I mean every word, there is an entire section of the book completely dedicated to shame and overcoming shame. So you can get that book, The Anatomy of Loneliness, and flip to the section on shame and start doing work on that pattern to get yourself out of this pattern of being scapegoated. The bottom line is the reality of getting out of this pattern of being scapegoated is going to be a grief process. And a grief process is going to be even more difficult if you're still holding on to the fantasy of having better relationships with abusive people if only they would just get it and get the dysfunction and see themselves clearly enough to see the issues that they have. That being said, I hope that seeing especially some of the super glue that is binding you specifically to this pattern of being scapegoated will help you to transcend this pattern.